0: Welcome to episode 240 of Late Night Linux, recorded on the 31st of July 2023. I'm Joe, and with me are Fanem. Evening. Graham. Hello.
1: And Will. I'm not Will anymore. I was Will and have been for a very long time, but Elon Musk decided he wanted to be Will. So now I'm Will 123456789876543211.
0: Well, let's hope he gave you some gift vouchers as well. Will. <laughs> and he hasn't installed the light outside your front window. <laughs> I heard that they didn't have a permit for that, so hopefully it'll get ripped down. Anyway, before we get started, I just want to say, uh, it looks like we found an SEO person. So thank you for the various people who got in touch, but I think we've got that under control now, or at least uh, I now realize how much of a daunting task it is to make the websites not have shit SEO. So anyway, we'll see how that goes. Right, let's do some news then. Slackware turns 30 years old, and this is now we think, the oldest living, regularly updated Linux distro. And I thought to celebrate, we should all give it a go.
2: And all I can say is, why waste your time a Linux distribution when you have clearly developed time travel and sent the distribution into the future?
0: So you're saying that it feels 30 years old then? (sighs) I had to install it four times. (laughs) Well, I only had to install it once. Mm. And uh, the funny thing is, the first impression of it is you go to the website, and they haven't got an SSL cert configured. Mm. And that really sets the tone for me for the whole thing. (laughs) Yeah,
1: I found the rest of the website layout felt old, felt like very original, in a kind of endearing way, but also in a kind of, yeah, it's a bit lacking
3: kind of way. It still works, though. I mean, I don't know if what I did was the same as you guys, but I installed the Slackware 15 Live Distro in a VM. Mm. I did it that way because I wanted to play with it. And then I thought I'd try installing it, which was itself fun because it's all console based. And, you know, I got fed up trying to set up the time zone. So it was set up to be in Tehran. (laughs) (laughs) But I mean, Lilo, it's been a while since I saw Lilo. And I thought Lilo looks great. It always did look good.
2: Uh, That is the point where it broke a mind. I didn't get to that Lilo screen. It did something with the boot record or didn't do something with the boot record. I genuinely don't know because I don't do that bit of an install anymore. don't about you guys. I don't partition yeah. the boot drive. Partition drives afterwards like ZFS mm. or even extended RAID arrays or whatever, but it's that initial boot disk. That's the one that's just simple, stick it on, go, done. Yeah. Or not in this case.
1: <laughs> I went to the, navigated to the download page on their website and, version 12 was the earliest version and we're now at what is it version 15 so you know not that long ago it was last updated 16 years ago <laughs> that version 12 so there haven't been many releases since uh 16 years ago but for all of my jokes about it how old it felt the website maxed out my gigabit download speed which i don't know if i've mentioned i've got gigabit now oh, it absolutely yeah. maxed it out it was downloading 103 megabytes a second it was it was amazing and that sense of speed continued through to sticking the virtual cd in the virtual cd drive and booting up the vm and it was at a prompt like almost immediately it was felt incredibly fast but then you got to setting up the partitions and you had to do it manually and that felt a bit clunky but I kind of knew what I was doing and it took me a couple of goes to get through it but I finally got there what I didn't see was any suggestions for minimum disc size and so i set it to 8 gig because slackware Mm. wasn't enough and in fact it needed 17 gig so my Mm. first attempt filled the disc up and then it would come up with a load of spurious errors that i just thought i assume this means the disc is full which it was then once it got installed there was a whole load of questions like I don't know, 10 or 15 questions. I had no idea what it was asking me. There was a lot of text and I wasn't reading it. So I just next, next, nexted through it. Then, like you say, Lilo got through that, but then it booted it and it sat at Lilo for two minutes if I hadn't have hit a button, which was unusual. like that, Most distros now kind of skip that whole, what do you want to do boot menu? And they're just straight in. And if you want to change it, you have to hold down a key or something like that. And then, after it booted, and it was all installed successfully and booted, it dropped me into a command prompt, and I had to run Star X to get <laughs> it going. Now, I don't know if that's something that I missed during
3: that install. Well, I missed it too, then. Yeah, I didn't have the problem with the live.
0: You didn't have to do that? No. Yeah. Well, I also had to run start X manually, and I had to add my own user as well, because it yeah. only gave me a real yeah. user. And to do updates, I had to go into the sources list and uncomment on one. Of the uh, mirrors, huh.
2: I did three broken installs that wouldn't even get to that Lilo, you know, splash at the start of the, you know, select what to boot. I don't know what I did differently, but on the fourth time it worked, I I have zero idea. And I thought it was, oh, I'll make it bootable, the disk bootable. But no, it wasn't that because I couldn't actually figure out how to do that in the F disk that they had. I was like, oh, does GPT even have that? I'm not sure. And uh, yeah, I, the fourth time it worked. But yeah, all those things, create your own user and do start X. It was, it was weird. And did anybody get system updates to work? I don't even know how you do them. Apparently, it doesn't call Slack package, but that
3: doesn't appear to be on my system. You have to be root. For it to be uh, in the path. I changed the route and it didn't work thought, thought I, I was reported to admin when I tried to sue that oh. as
2: well. <laughs> <laughs> Who's an naughty boy?
3: But Will mentioned the amount of space and I was shocked as well because I created a 20 gig virtual drive and then it took up, yeah, 15 or 16. And I looked at what it was using. There was over a gig in locale. There was 1.4 gig in docs, and 1.2 gig in sources, which seems weird. One thing that was up to date was the Twitter logo for the Twitter client, but all it gave me was some X server information.
0: <laughs> uh,
3: nice. Very good.
1: Generally, though, I found everything worked. Like USB works, networking works, sound worked, the screen resolution changey thing worked.
2: Well, oh, that's KD, Will, you <laughs> see. You, know, you get confused. You see, That's the good part of the system.
0: Well, hang on. During the installer, you could have either KDE or XFCE. So guess which one I went with? <laughs> the one that didn't work? No, I went with XFCE and it worked fine. Except for Network Manager, I had to go in and manually put in the password. It didn't like, prompt me for the password mm-hmm. for the Wi-Fi, which was a bit weird. Because I installed this on actual hardware, because uh, Danger is my middle name, you know. <laughs> so I put it on a second SSD in a laptop. And that caused problems because it initially would only boot into Slackware. And then I updated Slackware, which took absolutely fucking ages. And when it was done, rebooted and it just wouldn't boot. It just got to some Lilo error screen. So I thought, right, well, I better do trust your old boot repair where you boot into a live Ubuntu session, add the PPA, run boot repair. It does its thing. And that didn't work. So then I had to, I think I had to reinstall Ubuntu on the other SSD but I didn't format the drive. I've talked about that before. That's a great feature of Ubuntu. So all my settings and stuff were preserved. And then I could boot into Ubuntu or into Slackware. So that was a bit of a weird experience. But um, yeah, it was all just pretty fine. And I don't know, it just, for me, the takeaway is this is what Linux was probably like 20 or 30 years ago. And it made me appreciate the advances that the likes of Fedora and Ubuntu have made. No, it was far, far worse. And yeah, this is still
2: much better than that was. But I find the Debian installers nicer to run.
0: But maybe that's just me being used to it more. I don't know. Mm. I was thinking the same thing because Debian's 30-year anniversary is coming up soon in a few months. And yeah, I'm thinking to myself, is Debian better than this? Am I just used to it? Mm. I don't know. Mm. Yeah, I don't know. It's hard to say.
3: There were some weird things, like I couldn't get page up and page down to work, and tabbing between fields would skip a field, which caught me out a couple of times. And also, did you have I was it HP Device Manager mm. on your desktop? Yeah, yeah. I thought that, God, of I bought a Dell, <laughs>
1: <laughs> I did find myself wondering who it's for these days. And the answer to that question is is the people who use Slackware, and I'm just kind of fine with that. I like the fact that it exists and. It's got a very long history of a few people maintaining it and contributing to it, which has led to like a very consistent feeling to Slackware since the very, very beginning. And I quite like that. It's like archaeology that's
0: still around. Living archaeology, yeah. Yeah, that's what I mean, yeah. Like XFCE. <laughs> the BBC on Mastodon. Experimenting with distributed and decentralized social media. So, this is from the BBC Research and Development Department. And I saw Radio 4 and 5 live were on there. And this is a six month experiment. This certainly gives legitimacy to Mastodon, doesn't it?
3: Yeah. And what I like about it is that it helps Mastodon be that kind of experimental API that we've talked about before with. People like the BBC putting content on there. It means that you can once again kind of dive into the analytics of things and track things like this without having to worry about API limits or necessarily paying for it. So I think, especially for a you know a public broadcaster, I think it's a really good step.
0: And it's two fingers up at Musk, in it ultimately. Yeah, let's say yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and Zuckerberg and and all of the centralized social media. But like I said, it's only a six month experiment. They've said and they sort of reserve the right to shit can it yeah which will be a bit depressing and i've got a funny feeling we'll be sitting here in six months talking about what went wrong with this
3: they may do um and the bbc is a long history of experimenting and pulling things but also of oh god he's gonna say something about the sound part no no (laughs) i'm not i'm not
0: bbc3 for example (laughs) they got rid of that but then they brought it back
3: and they've been pretty good with their 4K transmissions over iPlayer, if you care about such a thing. Really? I can only
0: ever get 720p out of it.
3: Oh, the whole of Glastonbury was UHD 4K on iPlayer. Oh. It was really, really excellent quality.
0: Mm. Oh, I'm too old for the likes of that.
3: <laughs> well, I mean, in the future, this I'm sure it'll be important. They had Rick Astley on it, Joe. Don't worry, it was well old school. <laughs> mm. So I think it's good that... Um, public broadcaster experiments with these kind of things but more importantly the fact that that yes you you said it it's a kind of an agnostic platform in that way that's not owned by some despotic narcissist not that
0: any of the others are but just say
2: because <laughs> they're
3: very rich and they might come to get
0: you <laughs> it is funny how threads the meta one launched and i'd you know millions of people using it and then two weeks later we find out that they sort of quietly admit that they've lost over half of their active users. And uh, it's funny, you don't see the media saying, oh, Threads, utter failure. It's lost half its active users like they did with Mastodon. Yeah. Okay, this episode is sponsored by HelloFresh. With HelloFresh, you get farm-fresh, pre-proportioned ingredients and seasonal recipes delivered right to your doorstep. HelloFresh understands that you want options when it comes to what you make for dinner, not just the same old thing all the time. That's why they offer 40 recipes to choose from every single week, so you'll never get bored and can always find something new to try. Did you know HelloFresh offers more than just delicious dinners? It's now easier than ever to skip that extra grocery store run by adding snacks, sides, and more to your weekly order. Simply shop HelloFresh Market and take your pick from a curated selection of over 100 items. My two and a half admins co-hosts Jim and Alan tried HelloFresh, and they were impressed with the recyclable packaging and really enjoyed their meals. So support the show and go to HelloFresh.com slash LateNightLinux50 and use code linux 50 for 50% off plus free shipping. That's HelloFresh.com slash LateNightLinux50 and code linux 50 for 50% off plus free shipping. On to a bit of admin then. First of all, thank you everyone who supports us with PayPal and Patreon. We really do appreciate that. If you want to join those people, you can go to com slash support. And remember, for various amounts on Patreon, you can get an advert-free RSS feed of either just this show or all the shows in the Late Night Linux family. And if you want to get in contact with those, you can email show at latenightlinux.com. Bit of a follow-up on the Lex D story. So we talked about how Canonical took that in-house, and there was a bit of drama with Stefan leaving Canonical and not wanting to sign the CLA, and now another of the LexD devs. Christian has posted, apparently I'm not a maintainer of LexD anymore, and neither is Stefan. So it seems from now on it's Canonical employees only. I'd like to point out that before Canonical moved LexD into Canonical's GitHub, maintainership was completely independent of the company. If you went to work somewhere else, you were still a maintainer, as it should be with any well-functioning open source software project. Well, it looks like everything's sorted itself out then, so it's all good. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. Now, I have seen some debate about this online saying that this is sort of standard practice for companies to take over maintainership, but then other people are saying, well, hang on, LexD was a community project. We've not seen the fork yet, but now this feels inevitable. It wasn't clear what was going to happen, and we've still not heard anything as of recording, but if we've not seen a fork by the time we record next time, I'll be very surprised. Hmm. Just the way they're talking just seems like it's inevitable, but I don't know. Because they can still contribute to it, but just not as maintainers.
1: And presumably they would need to sign the CLA in order to do that, and I don't think they would do.
0: Yeah. Well, we'll have to keep an eye on this one. I don't think it's going to go away anytime soon. Web environment integrity, what some people are calling Google's DRM for the web. This is a proposal by some people at Google to solve a problem that, I don't really see is a thing, which is to make sure that websites can verify that you are actually coming from the browser that you say you are. You're not spoofing a user agent, you're not a bot, you're not trying to cheat in games. They're just trying to put DRM on the web, and this is just a terrible, terrible proposal.
1: I don't know whether thinly veiled really does it justice, but it's very obviously for Google to be able to make sure that there's somebody sat in front of the computer that's viewing the adverts so that they're not paying for clicks that don't really count and in fact in the um article that you linked to or the the readme that you linked to The top example of a scenario where users depend on client trust include visiting websites that are expensive to create and maintain, but they often need or want to do so without paying directly. These websites fund themselves with ads, but the advertisers can only afford to pay for humans to see the ads rather than robots. This creates a need for human users to prove to websites that they are human, sometimes through tasks such as challenges or logins. The thing that they have created, prove you are not a robot, is one of the reasons they have now created this other thing.
2: Yeah, I mean, I can't honestly voice what I would actually like to do to Google with seeing this. No, you said it earlier. I did say it earlier. I'm not saying it online. <laughs> this this thing could be could be listened to by who knows. But if I had a rental van, um, no, but anyway, <laughs> uh, it's just, it's like the absolute shitification of the web, like the free and open web. I saw a really good point that somebody made at the weekend. You should have the right to lie. Yeah. It is not up to them to determine whether you can tell them whatever you want to say. They can quite literally fuck right off if <laughs> they think that they're going to have that running on my system. We don't have this contract with them that we have to be there. Mm. We have to use the software they want to. It's like banking software on your phone. No, if you want me to do something, create an API, a website, and we do the standard back and forth. And if it gets robbed on my side, tough. That's my tough. That's whatever. But as long as I'm sending you the right information, that's what you fucking take. And you don't get to see whether I've got whatever you want me to have installed, because it's going to lock us right out the whole system. And it, it's totally wrong
0: as well on all sorts of levels. I mean, I know we like to give Mozilla shit on this show basically every week, but fuck, man, we really need Firefox to hang around and ideally get a lot more users, because shit like this, it's just dystopian. If you can't run your own computer, it's not
2: your computer. And we're going to get to the point where you're going to end up having to have like something like a Nook that runs all this absolute shite and remote into it because you wouldn't
3: want it on your own machine. I completely agree. Mm. I, I mean, did we make the point, or Will or Failing did, when we were talking about something similar with Google, it's like um Alex and a Clockwork Orange being reprogrammed. Um, You know, you must watch these ads. As if that was what the internet was invented for, as if that's what the web was invented for, as if that's how... Google became as successful as, as it did, and it's really, it's a, it's a big change, and it's probably going to be a big battle for the web if it isn't already lost. I mean, you can already say that Facebook really is the web to a lot of people, and that's this kind of thing. But still, yes, I totally agree that this is Mozilla's fight. It's a good thing to have
0: to play devil's advocate on this. <laughs> that, that get you hurt as well. Happen there? <laughs> well, yes, it may well do. But I understand what it means to make money from advertising and to have a business that relies somewhat on that. And if there was a great concern that a big chunk of the audience was bots for this show, for example, then I would have sympathy for a proposal like this, you know, something similar for podcasts that could somehow determine what was a bot and what wasn't. I mean, thankfully, it's not an issue yet for podcasts. So it's easy to kind of just say, oh, well, fuck these guys. But if your business is built on selling ads and you've got loads of bots and fraud and stuff, then you need to do something about it. And I don't think this is the solution, but it feels like they do need a solution. Yeah, but the difference there is the fact that you don't get to reach into somebody's
2: life and determine what they are and aren't watching and how they're watching it imagine if you were watching tv yes that thing that we used to use and somebody would come to your door to watch you watch tv to make sure you didn't leave to make a cup of tea when the ad came on like it's fucking outrageous
3: yeah and unfortunately i mean i i agree and i've had to- they help invest in content, but at the same time, if it came down to it, I'd rather not have the ads and rely on people creating content for free. I'd rather go back to that
0: because there's so much shit on the internet because of ads. Well, yeah, I mean, you only have to look at YouTube. Don't get me started on that again, how it's because of the whole algorithm mm. and stuff that you've got these mouth agape pointing thumbnails, mm. which I just can't stand and clickbait e titles and stuff. In a way,
3: I don't feel like this is how selling ads should work. It should be based, the, the, the number of viewers or the number of reads should be kind of arbitrary compared to the conversion rate of how many people are buying through the advertising. And that's what the real problem is. I reckon advertising online is massively ineffective. It doesn't matter whether it's bots or not. Nobody ever engages with any of it. And all of this is kind of just bullshit maneuvering to try and squeeze the advertisers out of more money.
0: (laughs) That that said, make sure you support our sponsors.
1: Well, we've talked about the the open source funding problem m- many times, and this is kind of an extension of that. There needs to be a way in which you can pay somebody for the content or for, for whatever it is that they produce in a way which is cost-effective and doesn't mean that you have to rely on adverts. We just haven't cracked that yet,
0: despite you know
2: minutes of trying. Well,
0: again, support us on Patreon
2: for an ad-free feed.
0: <laughs> but that's the
2: thing. It's like I genuinely don't mind ads if they're within the realm of what I'm interested in. And I might find one of those products that even though I don't need a whatever it happens to be, but because it's actually in the general area, but they're just trying to blanket across the web and make it all automatic. So they don't actually have to deal with things or have a tech support people that their advertisement people could then talk back to. They're trying to do it as maximum cheap to screw over the people that want to advertise on their platform and get the most returns whilst doing the least amount of bloody work. And this is just a way to try and force that.
0: Yeah. But again, I just have sympathy. You know, if everyone listening supported us on Patreon, then we wouldn't need to have ads. But you just can't expect people to do that. People want shit for free, generally speaking, and or literally can't afford to support everything that they want to consume. And then you get into micropayments and, oh, what about crypto? Fuck off. You know, there's no great solution for this. And as Will said, it's not exclusive to open source or not. It's just a general problem in the modern era of how do you support the creation of things generally. And people take it too far and have AI writing bullshit clickbait articles, plaster them with ads that no humans ever see, and then get another AI to just click on them and pretend to have read the articles and pretend to have seen the ads and pretend to have clicked through to the ads and all the rest of it. It's, uh, once again, it's capitalism. That's the problem. (laughs) It's
3: like a recurring theme for us,
0: isn't it? It's almost, yeah. I just wish I had a a solution. I wish I had a replacement for capitalism that actually worked. One of these days I'll come up with one, I think. Can't be that hard. (laughs) Nihilism. (laughs) (laughs) What's this on Pharaonics? Some of the features you will find removed from KDE Plasma 6. (sighs) So... uh, they seem to be doing a GNOME, eh, failing. <laughs> not quite,
2: Joe. I think that's quite the uh, incorrect characterization of the events. Getting rid of the crufty broken bits would be more like it and uh, just doing a bit of cleanup.
0: Spring cleaning, not so much as throwing everything out like GNOME might do. No, I think they've just decided that GNOME is the best way to develop a desktop environment. I really doubt that because... Uh, That would just not be true at all, not even remotely so. It's just,
2: yeah, look, all these bits they're chucking out, they're all legitimate reasons. They're all unmaintained or poorly maintained or confusing. So I think that's good because that's trying to tidy up the paper cuts and stuff. Like one of the things there, there was a, a way to change DPI and icons settings. and There's about seven ways you could do it. So,
0: yeah, they got rid of two of those. So it's a start. So you're trying to tell me that this is a happy medium between classic KDE and GNOME. So GNOME just takes away all the options, whereas KDE just has a million infinity options. It
2: doesn't. It's just giant lies and <laughs> absolute nonsense. It really isn't back me up, Graham. Uh, <laughs> the, 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 it's just not true. They have a good infrastructure that sets out how you can set up your machine the way you want to and they don't dictate that and all this is doing is taking away a few broken bits that were like unmaintained so yeah i think that's fine because you don't want people to see a broken or rusty bit on it and i think that's totally fair gnome seems to have the opinion that you will use the computer
0: the way they dictate that you'll use it and that's it (laughs) no touchy touchy Well, if you have to search through your settings to find what you want, then there are too many settings. Powerful systems need lots of choice. Simple by default, powerful when needed. Is that the tagline? That's exactly KD. Yes. Thank you. Right. Well, we'd better get out of here then. We'll be back next week with some discoveries and who knows what else. But until then, I've been Joe. I've been Phelan. I've been Graham. And I've been Will. See you later.